0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Evil deeds don't bring good. They bring shame on God's name. And they also bring wrath on persons who are lost without salvation in Christ. And now with his message for this morning,
1: our pastor, Robert Elliot, Go back with me to Romans 2, verses 2 and 3, please. Romans 2, 2 and 3. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O oh man, that when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? <laughs> the answer to that is no. Well, we're good at judging other people's sin. Hear what she just said? Look at his attitude. wonder if they really paid for that when they took it from work. You need to let God judge our sin, confess it as such, experience the forgiveness that the blood of Christ makes possible, and go on in humility and integrity walking with a Savior who loves his soul. The last objection question of these verses is number five, and it's this question. Why not say, let sin so that good will come? Why not say, let's sin so that good will come? Now, verse 8, the last verse in our passage this morning, culminates the faulty reasoning we've seen leading up to verse 8 in this passage. It's the granddaddy of them all. Verse 8 culminates all the faulty reasoning of this passage by suggestion, suggesting, rather, that the doing of evil is okay because the doing of evil brings out God's best. Wow. Verse 8. And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Some are saying, you believe in grace, God's unmerited favor because of Christ in your life? Then why don't you just do evil because of pour out more grace? Bring out the good of God if you do the bad as a believer. Verse 8, why not say, let sin, let sin so that good will come? The answer, because sin ultimately and consistently brings wrath, not good. You know, it's Satan who says, if you have that adulterous, fair, sweethearting, that you can get away with it and it won't hurt anybody. It's Satan who says, if you cheat on the entrance exam for college and nobody finds out, you'll be further ahead. It's Satan who says, he did me wrong, and you can be sure I'm going to do him wrong. It's Satan who says, I might have to stay married to her, but I'm not going to be very kind to her. Satan takes any sin, and he changes the price tag to make you think you can afford that sin. But like I said earlier, we can choose to sin. We're free moral agents. But when we choose to sin, we cannot choose the negative consequence that goes with that sin. We can't do that. There was a farm boy who lied in a business transaction on behalf of his father with farm a farm contract. And the farmer father found out about the lie and how it hurt the other party who did business with him on the farm because his son lied. The farmer made his boy apologize and ask for forgiveness for lying in the contract to the other farmer. And then, after he had done that, the farmer took his boy to the barn. He had a spike in one hand and a sledgehammer in the other hand. And he said to his son, Son, I want you to pound that spike into that barn door. The boy did. And then the father said, I want you to pull that spike out of the barn door. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, pull it out. I don't care how hard it is. Do it. Find a way to do it. Boy, eventually, with great effort, pulled the spike out of the barn door. Then the father said, the hole remains. You lied in that farm business contract. You asked for forgiveness, and graciously the man forgave you. But there's a consequence that remains. He'll probably never look at you as he did before, even having forgiven you. That's the hole in the barn door that your lie has cost." Every one of us, if we choose to sin voluntarily, are going to be left with a negative consequence that even the forgiveness of the other party will not fully take away. And so in this verse... Why not say, verse 8, as we are slanderously reported as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Here's the situation. Satan was duping them, fooling them, tricking them to say, okay, let's do some evil. Let's choose some evil deeds because that'll bring good. No, evil deeds don't bring good to God. Evil deeds bring shame on God's name. We are Christians. Little Christ, we take God wherever we go. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. God does not live in this nice building. When I leave this building or anyone else leaves this building through the week and the last person sets the alarm, God no longer lives in this building. When the firstborn-again Christian comes in in the morning, God has come to live again in the building. Where you go, where you play, where you work, where you study, where you take medical treatment, you take the Holy Spirit of God in Jesus Christ's name with you wherever you go. Verse 8. And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come? Their condemnation is sure. Their condemnation is sure because sin ultimately and always brings wrath, not good. Now, just in wrapping this up, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. Sin ultimately and always brings wrath, and not good. And very appropriately, back to chapter 3, verse 8, that verse closes with the only rational assessment of those who would perpetrate the lie and twisted reasoning of verses 7 and 8. Here's the bottom line. Straight from God to them and straight from God to you. Their condemnation is just. A person without Christ who says, I'm going to choose to sin because it'll bring somehow good out of God. If without Christ, that's what God says to them. Your condemnation is just. At the great white throne judgment, when all the Christ rejecters of all the ages of human history, Jewish or Gentile, when they stand before Christ one by one by one, none will be able to say to judge Jesus Your condemnation of me to hell is unjust. No one will be able to say that.
0: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of Youth Talk. And today we want to continue on our raw series and talking about boldness, how we need to take a stand for Christ. And right now, as we're listening to this broadcast, um, and you are preparing for school, I want you to think... As we think of our culture, as we think of what's around us, we think of everything around us that is just screaming out that this is right, and this is right, and this is right. And yet, when we consider and we look at it and we compare it to the world standard, the world says it's right. But When we look at God's word, we see that it's not right. I want to ask you, are you willing to take a stand when no one else does? Are you willing to say that I'm going to stand up for my faith, for my God, when no one else is is willing to be with me or back me up? Because the reality is is that that's what's going to start to happen in today's culture and society. Because we need to understand that we are going to go against the grain all the time. And as we start this series and we talked about last week and we talked about the boldness, I want us to continue on that same theme as we consider it's not easy to be bold. I want you to think about again for for a second as we look at God's word at Daniel chapter 3 and a story that we heard growing up as a kid and um, in Sunday school. But I want us to look at some new truth and, and understand how this truth today is so real in today's society. Because when you turn on your television, you see all that's going on and people are just compromising on their faith and compromising. And you hear uh, people who are well known, who Basically are trying to renounce their faith and say they don't want nothing to do with it. And, you know, people in the church are, are saying, well, it's okay to do this. And other people are saying, no, it's not. Instead of going to God's word and seeing what God's word says. It seemed to limo what Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they had to go through. Because everyone else was doing it. Everyone else was all right with what was going on. But yet they were not because they wanted to take a stand for God no matter what. And when we start in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to the symbol, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication, the statue King Nebuchadnezzar set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the province assembled for the dedication of the statue had set up. They then stood before the statue had been set up. So we have this this right here. The picture is a big statue has been set up. And today we need to understand something, that yes, we don't build statues like this in a sense to bow down to, but I want to ask you a question. As we think of this, This is an idol. What idols do you have that you bow down to? Whether it be your phone, your television, whatever it may be, what is it that you bow down to? What is it that you allow to control you? Or you you, you just say, this is what my God did. This is my life. You know, when I think of a cell phone, I think of today's society, electronic world, you know, people will tell you, I can't live without my cell phone. And I might be one of them who would say, I don't know what I would do without it. In fact, there's you know, times when I, if I left at home, I feel lost. But we shouldn't be that dependable on things. We should be dependable on God. Verse 4 says this, A herald loudly proclaim, People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the drum, every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. But whoever does not fall down, worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Verse 7, again, talks about how all these, you know, again, if you didn't hear it the first time, you need to understand again that when you hear the music, you are to fall down and bow to the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This is it. This is the picture. This is the picture of today's society. You do what I tell you to do no matter what. And everyone's doing it, so go ahead and do it. It's no big deal. You, you know, it's easy to fit in this crowd, easy to do what they're saying. Again, all the people are calling, he's calling to do this. So why not just follow the crowd instead of taking an opportunity to take a stand? You see, this is what, as a young person, you face all the time. You face this because to be popular, you have to make these decisions sometimes to Follow what the crowd is doing. You need to make decisions to make yourself sound like you approve of things that you know is wrong by your faith. And yet, we do it because it matters more to us what other people think than what God thinks. So we have this picture. We have this scene where the statue is there. You bow down when you hear the music or else you'll be thrown in the furnace. Who wants to be thrown in the furnace? Who wants ridicule? Who wants to be told and called certain names for different things? No one. And I think that even as a young person, as this, but even as an older person, how many times do we compromise our faith to get ahead in business, to get ahead in life, to think that we are doing the right thing because this is going to help us out instead of taking a stand for God? People do it all the time. Verse 8 of chapter 3 said this, Some Chaldeans took the occasion to come forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that every one who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the furnace. Again, we have this picture. Do what I say. Follow me. And again, they are concerned about what the Jews, you know, they they they're coming forward because they want the Jews to fall down and worship this god and not the god that they should be following. So I challenge you. What is the idol in your life that you are struggling with right now? That you say, "You know what?" Yes. Pastor Nicholas, it's very hard for me to take a stand because it's, I want to be popular. And school is starting up, and I don't want to start off by being this, you know, Christian who no one wants to be around and people look at like they're a freak or something's wrong with them. So why not just fit in? Why not just blend in? Why not just do what everyone else is doing? Because then I can, you know, fit in. and And, and how some Christians, they think is, oh, I'll do that and and try to win them for Christ. No. You see, as we're going to look at next week, when you take a stand, people are going to respect you more. And they're going to notice you more. And when they notice you, you can point them directly to the one that you're trying to, and that's God himself. This is Pastor Nicklin, another edition of You Talk. And now, today's
1: ministry spotlight. Well, this morning, I'm very pleased to have my friend Paul Worrell in the studio with me. Good morning. Good morning. Pastor. once again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Pastor Paul Worrell is one of our pastors at Calvary Bible Church, one of our servant leaders. And we're so pleased to serve together uh, the Lord Jesus and his people. Paul, you have both an interest in and a lot of knowledge about the uh, healing properties of some plants that God has gifted Uh, to the Caribbean, and particularly to the islands of the Bahamas. And I want to let you speak about that. But before I do, I just want to remind our listeners that um, vegetation is one of the good gifts that God has given in his creation. And um, in Genesis 1, verse 11 and 12, this is what we read. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them and after their kind. And God saw that it was good. Paul, I'm just wondering when I raise the topic of uh, beneficial plants that grow in our country What comes to your mind first? Probably it's the wonder of God's creation.
3: It goes even beyond the plants. Yes. The nature that just speaks to who God is. He has designed a very complex and intricate world. Yes. He has designed it. It hasn't happened by accident. Mm -hmm. And everything has a purpose. And it's interrelated. And we need to be aware of that. And one of my loves is to find out really what that purpose is. Mm -hmm. It fascinates me. It keeps me up at night. Mm -hmm. It just brings a smile to my face. And the wonder of nature that's here in the Bahamas is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. It actually blows my mind, the beauty that we have here, the value that we have here. And historically, um, how we've actually used plants culturally socially and medicinally for our benefit Mm -hmm. and one of my desires is that we never lose that but always use it with an understanding that this is part of god's plan for us it's for our good and we just need to see god at work in his creation i I absolutely love it Um, my wife and i we are pretty much focused On using these plants as much as possible yes and finding the stories because as you know in the Bahamas we have a huge oral tradition yes however that doesn't serve us too well because after those people with all this knowledge pass on it tends to die with them we are trying to record and expose particularly our young people to the wonders of of nature here particularly the, the plants for example in our house, we do not buy imported teas. Our sons, um, from the time they were born, only drank what we would call bush teas. And we even created a business around it. People would come to our house, and we'd only provide them either our traditional teas, some of our special blends, or freshly squeezed juices from Bohemian fruits. And it got to the point where people said, we'll pay you to do this, we love it so much. Mm. Um, we would encourage people, you can do it yourself, but unfortunately, um, for a lot of people who live busy lives, they don't have the time for that, mm-hmm. but we're more than happy to provide it. And there are so many health benefits. For example, um, diabetes runs in my family. My mom has type 2 diabetes. Her mom had type 2 diabetes, and I was actually diagnosed as pre-diabetic. Yes. I was actually put on pills. I decided... <laughs> I can't live a life just taking pills, and I actually researched um, really a bit about diabetes, what causes it, what it's all about, and found out the plants that actually would help in counteracting those things, and with diet, exercise, and actually consuming some of our teas. Actually, my healthcare provider said, Mr. World, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it, <laughs> because you don't need those pills anymore. Praise the Lord. But, you know, if you speak with Grammy and Andrus or in Mayaguana and Cat Island, they'll say, why are you so stupid? You could have done that. That knowledge is fair. They've been doing it over time, but we've gotten away from it, and we've gone to that microwave quick fix, and um, I think we're,
1: we're suffering as a result. Sure. That's fascinating. So uh, for listeners uh, thinking, boy, I'd like to know more about what's good for me that might help me in specific ways, how would you direct that listener to find out this information that is available? Like, how would he get it or how would she get it?
3: I'll say the way I got it. Okay. I got it from my parents. And whenever I go to a family island, I like to find the oldest or at least the oldest people in the community. And I just... Have a word with them. Yes. Because that's where the knowledge base is. I must say there is a cadre of young people who are expressing an interest in this. But again, that takes time. I like going to the source. But the older people in our community, there is wisdom that comes with with age. Certainly. A lot of wisdom that comes with age. And I find that the older people are more than happy to share with you. More than happy. And I just love to have conversations with them. I mean, I can speak with them all day long. There's also, in this day and age, research on the internet. Yes. There are many books that have been written about Bahamian um, fauna and flora. Unfortunately, a lot of them have not been written by Bahamians. But we've had people from around the world who've researched what is here in the bush. And it's amazing, and this is scientific research, documented, tested, the value of the leaves, the trees, the barks in our country. Fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. Um, For example, I can prepare a tea that's comparable to a northern chamomile using only Bahamian leaves. It calms you. It soothes you. It's anti-inflammatory, excellent for digestion,
1: and guess what? It tastes great, beautiful. So, just in wrapping up this segment, you mentioned your business and that you, you sell uh, things that you've learned are tasty and/or helpful. Uh, what is your best-selling thing? Do you suppose? Probably the tea that I just mentioned. Okay, and what's the name of that tea? That's called Serenity. You call that Serenity? That's a it's clever a play name. on words. That's a clever name. Yes,
3: and. There's no secret um, what it's made of because we actually have it on our box. It's chamomile, um, spice, mint, and fever grass.
1: Wonderful. Well, we could talk about this a long time with Benefit, couldn't we? Oh, we could. But there's one thing
3: I'd like to mention. Please. We all like to pull up shepherd needle from our yards. I used to do that. I was guilty of that. I never do that anymore. Shepherd needle is a wonderful anti-inflammatory.
1: How how do you get from it growing in the ground to being used in that way? Oh, just um, cut
3: everything that's above ground, mm-hmm. um, dry it,
1: mm-hmm. and steep it. As a tea? As a tea. Fascinating. I can almost hear the listeners out there saying, don't end this segment. This is really good. Talk to Grammy and Granddad
3: in Exuma forever. Okay,
1: you heard it here. Talk to Grammy and Grandpa there and or any other senior citizen. Paul, thank you so much for my pleasure sharing this information. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment
0: and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997, and once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. 1
1: Corinthians 15 verse 50 gives rise to this question, how is Paul's doctrine of the physical resurrection consistent with his statement that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Paul concludes his defense of the doctrine of the resurrection by explaining the process by which the resurrection body is obtained by the rapture, uh, verses 52 of chapter 15, or through death, verses 54 to 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. The importance of this is stressed in verse 50, where Paul declares that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's point is that you cannot go to heaven in your present mortal body. The perishable body must be changed and modified in order to enter into the heavenly sphere. The resurrection body will not be made of flesh and blood, but it will be a very real, glorified human body.
0: You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com That's EOCradio at gmail.com or PO Box N1684 Nassau Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.